kingdom accomplishments. And I'm glad that our nation and really the world has been shaped by those who have taken a risk to stand for what is right. Amen. I want to talk to you about prayer this morning and especially out of, and we'll just refer quickly to Daniel chapter 10. So if you want to go there on your phone, your app, on the screens or in your litmus, if you have paper in front of you. Daniel chapter 10. So, you know, the Daniel fast is based out of Daniel chapter 10, uh, but yet we see this lifestyle with Daniel. Daniel was a regular in what we would call kind of a partial fast. He was a regular in that. Uh, It starts in chapter 1, right? And we see this kind of as a lifestyle where he's going to prove out the goodness of God, the power of God, the grace of God by setting himself apart and actually... Uh, actually shifting his diet away from that which maybe is heavy or that which is uh, uh, um, in that day, chapter 1, kingly, right? The kingly diet was lots of rich foods. So he said, we're going to set ourselves aside from that. Instead, we're going to devote ourselves to a more simple diet and to the Lord. And so his lifestyle was prayer as well, three times a day. That was his lifestyle. Uh, So that's kind of fun, right? Uh, Daniel chapter 10 is where we get the Daniel fast, officially the Daniel fast diet. Daniel chapter 10, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, I'm starting at verse 1, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, that was his Babylonian name, and the message was true and one of great conflict, but he understood the message in had an understanding of the vision. Uh, And so now the rest of the chapter moves into how this happened. What in the world happened? How in the world did he get this vision? And it was a vision about conflict. And how did understanding come? We find out later understanding came on the 24th day when he had an angelic visitation on the 24th day of that particular month. So this is his story. Uh, The next verse, verse 2, in those days I, Daniel, had been mourning or fasting. It's interesting, too, that some translations say fasting and some translations say mourning because it's interesting that he took on a perspective for his people because Israel had not come into the breakthrough or there had not been a breakthrough as God had ordained for Israel. He takes note of those things, and we see a similar theme with him in chapter 9. He takes note of that, and so his heart is grieved. It's interesting. I love it that Joel's heart is grieved for something happening in our culture right now that contradicts God's goodness, God's intention, what God has for society and for people. That's It's good good for our heart to have a little bit of a a mourning side to it. Is that okay? You follow what I'm saying? And so he takes note of something, and he takes note of something that God wants to do but wasn't getting done, and so he takes on this fasting or this mourning where he, he, he realizes that he could potentially play a part in God's breakthrough in culture and society if he will, will take on a lamentation about God's business and walk that out. And I don't know that he knew it would happen in 21 days, but in, for three weeks he does this. And he did not eat any, he says, I did not eat any tasty food or uh, sweets is what some of the translations would help us understand, uh, nor or, or breads. 
uh, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, and nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. We can leave the ointment uh, to you uh, if you want to go without ointment. Uh, but the other things, you know, the other, the other, I'm teasing, of course, but. So we say no sweets, no meat, and no wine, right? Uh, and so then it goes on. I want to pick it up at verse 10. Then behold, uh, this is the angelic visitation at the end uh, of the 21 days, which happened on the 24th day. An angel visits him. And verse 10 sets me trembling on my hands and knees. He says to me, Daniel, man of high esteem. Now, this is interesting. I think when we seize ourselves for the purposes of God, when we, when we are saying to God, I want to be tuned into you, I want to be your extension, I want to be used of you in the realm of prayer, in the realm of declaration, in the realm of even, right? Isaiah 62 says, remind me. Give me no rest until I establish Jerusalem and make her a praise in the earth. This is interesting. God wants us to be engaged with what's on his heart. And, and I think we'll explain a little bit more of that in a few minutes as we get into this message destined for the throne. But, but this is interesting that he says, man of high esteem. You know what? I would love to be called man of high esteem by God. Anybody in the room would love to be called woman of high esteem, man of high esteem. I mean, that's a pretty cool thing to have an angel visit you and say, by the way, this is what Father thinks about you. And I think it was related to him seizing his heart for the heart of God. So he says, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright for I've now been sent to you. And when he spoke in these words to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said, don't be afraid for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding and on humbling yourself before your God and on humbling yourself before your God. Come on, somebody. Your words were heard and I've come in response to your words. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Come on, say it with me. My words are important. Seizing my heart for the heart of God is important. This is what God has for me. Yeah, come on. This is, this is a part of what God has for us. Amen? This is so good. So I want to talk now. I want to give us some, some other... I want to go away from that for a moment. But our theme is prayer. Our, our theme is connecting with God, hearing from God, reflecting what God's saying in the spirit realm, petitioning God for what's on his heart. Our, our theme for these 21 days is being tuned in. I, I hope you're tuning out the radio. I hope that talk radio is off. Some of us have shut off Facebook. Glory to Miss Joel. Thank you, honey. Uh, this is really, it's really hard though to, uh, it's really hard to share with people about like things that are going on, because then they're telling me, oh, I'm not hearing a thing, I'm, I'm off of Facebook. So, so those of you that are off of Facebook, I'm shooting out some really good devotions right now. I mean, you're missing some really good nuggets. But I'm with you, I applaud you. And you know, it's shutting off some of the noise is what it is. We have some distractions maybe Daniel didn't have that want to pull our attention, and this is a season to draw near to him. And then the other thing that we're saying is that, okay, we're going to take our meal times. We're going to make them simple. Uh, yesterday, Joel was rooting around in the kitchen, right? And I'm back studying a little bit. 
and she whipped up enough food for all of us for the rest of the day. And so some of it is to simplify meals as well so that then we can give time to the Lord, so that we can have some prayer time, right? So we don't want all of our time so focused on food that then we're not actually using some time to give him attention. But what we're wanting to do is really draw near to the Lord, and we're wanting to engage in in his kingdom and what he's up to. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. The Lord has a kingdom. How many of you know that? The Lord has a kingdom. This is, this is interesting. This is interesting. In his victory as a man, so this is, I think this is kind of interesting. I don't know if God could give him a kingdom if he hadn't have had a victory as a human. Cyrus had a kingdom. Darius had a kingdom. The pharaohs had kingdoms. Herod had a kingdom. Right? There's been lots of kingdoms that have come and gone, and these kingdoms have been of man. Psalm 115, 16 says, The heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. Yes? And most of the time, that's what we see, is we see earthly rulers, we see earthly kingdoms. Uh, very rarely do we see uh, an angelic ruler or some spirit, you know, some spirit kingdom. Most of the time, most of us are seeing humans leading kingdoms, yes? So I think this is interesting, and I want you to work with me a little bit as we think about this, is that, that, that a kingdom is an expression of rule and dominion in the earth, It is where an earthly human representative has authority and leadership. And due to his victory over Satan, he was given a kingdom and made a king. I think this is what he was saying a little bit when he said the kingdom is at hand. Isn't that interesting? There's lots of talk in the New Testament about the kingdom. And I know where your mind's going right now. You're saying, yeah, but he said my kingdom's not of this world. Exactly. It's not like this world. It's not as you know in this world. It doesn't operate on the principles of the world. It operates on the principles of heaven because the original Adam operated on the principles of heaven. The original Adam didn't operate on the principles of the of the now earth realm, the original Adam operated on the principles of heaven. It wasn't until he fell and Satan usurped his authority and took his place of authority that then we had earthly kingdoms that reflected a demonic realm. Before that, the original, the beginning with man was Adam walking in heavenly wisdom from a heavenly kingdom. In fact, is the whole garden of God reflected the very throne of God. The mountain of the Lord reflected the mountain of God in heaven. All of this was a reflection. What he created here was a small prototype of what he already had up there. And he set us in that garden. Isn't that cool? Isn't that crazy? So Mark 1, 14, at the arrest of John, Jesus went into the Galilee and proclaimed the gospel of God, the good news, Mark 1, 14, verse 15, the time is fulfilled, he said, the time is fulfilled. 
Oh, the kingdom of heaven. Now that's going to happen, you know, after I die or after the rapture or the kingdom of heaven. That's, you know, that's coming. That's go- well, there will be a greater fulfillment in the future. There's no doubt. But listen to what he said. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near or at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Well, yeah, but he said that's at hand. That doesn't mean it's starting. It's at hand. It could be two, three, four thousand years later. He said, the time is now. Then he goes on, Matthew 16, 28. Matthew 16, 28. Truly, I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. Wow. So his ascension into glory and Satan being cast out of glory had something to do with the fullness of his kingdom starting. It hasn't ended. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us it won't consummate in a fullness until the last enemy is subdued and the last enemy is death. So at the last trumpet, when he comes at the last trumpet, he will subdue the last enemy, which will be death. But the kingdom has begun. And don't we see the goodness of the the kingdom growing? Pastor Joel's reading a book at home right now, how she tackles these things. Mercy, she has grace on her. About this thick called The History of Jerusalem. Okay? And she's just conquered some other book on history recently. But, you know, every night, you know, she, you know we're, we're having, uh, it's not really a snuggle time. It's uh, old people time. You go to bed early, you lay on the bed, and you both read and grunt at each other. So if you're young... And you wonder what old people do when they go to bed. That's what they do. And the boys come in and they catch us in there grunting. And then she's like, oh, man. Anyway, the last two weeks she's been on this book. She's just blown away. She's like, oh, my word. There's been so much killing. There's been so much violence. There's been kingdom after kingdom. And there's been so much. And so, you know, we got interested in some of this stuff. So then I'm like, oh. So I went on to YouTube a couple of weeks ago, you know, we were watching, you know, the Ottoman Empire. We were watching this empire and that empire and the Persian Empire. We're watching all these videos, right? And it's just death and killing and death and killing and violence. And one kingdom takes another kingdom and takes another kingdom. And wouldn't you say that we're living in a little bit more peace than that right now? Of the increase of the government of his peace, there shall be no end. Yeah? That's where we started back at Christmas time with Pastor Chris, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. I mean, we're living in a cool time. This is amazing stuff. Now, his victory as a man granted him a kingdom, a superior kingdom, a kingdom that will have no end, a kingdom that will conquer, eventually conquer all others. Daniel seven thirteen in my vision, now this is another vision Daniel had, and it's very parallel to the vision that he had in chapter 10 when he finished his 21 days. He has another vision in Daniel chapter 7. In fact, is about four times in the book of Daniel he has parallel visions that show him four beasts or four kingdoms and this and that and the other thing and the things that are coming in the future. He has this revelation in Daniel chapter 7. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. He recognizes this guy looks like a human. This was not Gabriel. This was not Michael. This was not an angelic being. This was not a cherub. This was not a wheel in a wheel with eyes all around the wheel. This is one that looks like a son of man. This looks like a human. 
And this son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven, and he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence, and he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power, and all nations and all peoples and every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Whoa! Now here's the thing, though. He doesn't want to do this alone. He is the ultimate romantic. He is the ultimate lover. He is the ultimate... So, so the other night, I don't know why. Sterling, you'll have to tell us. Solomon, Sterling, Wolf. Uh, he wanted to watch um, The Emperor's New Groove. Okay. So we watched The Emperor's New Groove. And, and, you know, at the end of The Emperor's New Groove, which is an old movie. Have you seen it? Okay, old movie, new, new groove. But anyway, at the end of that movie, I'm like, Solomon Wolf, do you know that this is actually Daniel chapter 4? This is actually Nebuchadnezzar, right? So, you know, um, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't turned into a llama, but he was, you know, he was sent out to pasture for seven years and became like a cow. And it wasn't until he was eating the grass and humbled like a cow that he came to his senses and was returned to his kingdom. It's a biblical theme, but I say that because, you know, romance is woven into Disney and romance is woven into our lives and romance is woven into our movies, but it comes out of him. It comes out of Jesus. It comes out of Yeshua. It comes out of our, he's not just our savior. He's our lover. He wants to be our lover and he is calling a people that will be knit to him in love and he wants to share the kingdom with them. He doesn't want to have this kingdom alone. And by the way, it's a kingdom that's going to subdue all... It's a kingdom on the earth, though it's from heaven. Hmm, that's where we're from. It's a kingdom like no other. It's a kingdom with heavenly power, grace, heavenly principles. It's a kingdom, though, that will subdue all other kingdoms. And he, as a lover... See, love springs from him. Come on, say that with me. Love springs from him. All romance has its roots in Jesus. And so he's been planning from the beginning a marriage to those who love him. The marriage that he's planned was before the foundation of the earth. He's been planning. Have you been working on a wedding? Oh, boy. I know somebody's working hard on a wedding. Right now. Lots of planning. Lots of planning. Well, Father has been watching the Son, working with the Son. It's been like a family endeavor to plan this wedding to plan this marriage. And he's inaugurated the marriage to us through his redemption and made us heirs of the kingdom, just like any good wife becomes an owner of all the husband has. Yeah? Luke 12, 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He brings us into the kingdom, and he gives us the kingdom as well as his wife, as his partners, as his lovers, not as mere subjects or citizens, but as co-rulers with him. You're a co-ruler with him. I mean, this, this stuff is crazy stuff. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Listen to what Paul says, and he's, he's chiding them a little bit uh, for arguing with one another and taking their disputes to secular courts. And he says, guys, 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 I've had a revelation 
and I want to share it with you. And so we don't be careful about all that because he says, don't you know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And don't you know that if you're to judge the world, you shouldn't necessarily go? Are you not competent? Oh, he says, are you not competent? Since you're going to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? And do you not know, lastly, that you will judge angels? Now, this is, this is crazy stuff because here, here the Holy Spirit is lifting the dignity of man so high. The dignity of redeemed man is so knit to the Son, so knit, knit to the Divine One, knit to Jesus, knit to the Redeemer, that actually at the end of all of this, we're actually going to be involved with him as a co-partner in judging the world, in judging the angels. Boggles the mind, doesn't it? It's a little beyond all of our common understanding. But this is Paul trying to lift us a little bit to see what is this great, what is this great salvation? What has God done for us by bringing us into the beloved? And what has God done for us in this marriage to the Son? Romans eight seventeen. Now, if we are children, that is, if we've come to the Lord as children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs or equal heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also share in his glory. This is an amazing thing for us to think about, is that we, in this divine, in this marriage, in this romance, that even as, and and this shows the, the dignity of marriage, this shows also the dignity of a man and a woman. This is interesting, right? And there's several scriptures that are like this. So to digress a little bit is (laughs) to digress a little bit. He's showing us a little bit how a man should treat his wife. That she's an equal heir of all things. She's not, she's not under your foot. She comes out of a rib. Boy, every man missed a time to shout right there. You could have you scored so many brownie points right there. It would have just rocked your marriage. But that silence, you were just thinking like, that. what do you mean? I'm not going to share the car with her. And I got my own savings account. What do you mean? I got that thing set aside. She can't have that. What are you talking about? Really? This, this is the Lord showing us. The dignity that he gives us as a wife, bringing us in as equal sharers of the glory, equal sharers of the inheritance, equal sharers of the kingdom, equal sharers of the lordship over the earth. As he brings us into that, we partake with him. And this is the way a husband will treat a wife. Women are clapping. Women are clapping. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Okay, so, so my mind goes to organic unity. This is, this is, I mean, we've been, 
This is so, salvation is so transformational, so crazy that it blows the mind, I think. I I don't know if we're going to grasp this. But the word says that we are actually one spirit with the Lord. We are actually one spirit with the Lord. Through the marriage of the Holy Spirit, through the intimacy of your pure faith, through the consummation of yielding to his word and calling him Lord, we are born of his spirit. And this is like a God-breathed birth. It's a God-breathed birth. It's like a recreation. Fact is, this is so God-breathed, so ruah, such a recreation that Jesus demonstrated it when the first disciples gave their lives to the Lord. In John chapter 20, in John, and I'll read it to you. In John chapter 20, when the first disciples gave their lives to the Lord or recognized him as Messiah, he shows up in their midst after he's resurrected Verse 19, then he breathes on them. It was a, it was a ruah moment. It was a rep, repetition of Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of Jewish leaders. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Wow. With that, he breathed on him. This is what God did. He breathed in the breath, in the man, the breath of life, the ruah of life in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And from that moment on, Adam had, Adam was one with God. Adam had fellowship with God. We read about them fellowshipping in the cool of the day. I guarantee, do you only wait till the cool of the day to fellowship with God? Does anybody only wait till the cool of the day to fellowship with God? All right, neither did Adam. First, Adam was indwelt by the Spirit as a new believer is, indwelt by the Spirit as Jesus, the last Adam, was. First, Adam had immediate, uh, he had the very essence of the Spirit. He lived in the Ruah of God within So after, I mean, so God breathes into him, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. God breathes into him. The breath of God, or the spirit, the ruah, the very spirit of God, quickens him and comes into him. And then God, in an anthropomorphic way, God steps away from that experience. But the spirit remains within the man, within Adam. It wasn't until he fell and that fellowship was broken that there came a chasm, a rift, a separation from the communion that he once enjoyed. But up until that happened, Adam walked in an enjoyment of fellowship with God all of the time and had the very witness of the Ruah, the very presence of God in him all of the time. Isn't that cool? And so, you know, this, this is what 
this is what the Lord has done for us. And I, I want you to see that it's like, it's this organic unity. Are, is this blessing you? I mean, when I saw this, it just blessed me. 1 Corinthians six seventeen. Whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. That's the NIV. Whoever is united to the Lord is one with him in spirit. I kind of like the King James and the New American a little bit better. You'll notice, uh, you'll notice with him is not in the original Greek. And so it reads a little more straightforward. And here's what it says. But one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit. Did you hear that? But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit. In other words, when you, are, when you embrace this marriage to Jesus, there is no longer like your spirit and his spirit. And, you know, like my spirit doesn't want to do that. My spirit's bummed out. No, your soul could be bummed out. But whoever joins himself to the Lord is one spirit. There's actually a ruah within you. And you have become married. This is an organic unity. You are married to Jesus. And he says he seals it. He signifies it. He signifies it by the breath of the Spirit coming into your spirit. And if you're joined to the Lord, you are one. You are one. One spirit. That's powerful. Woo! So we become the bride of Christ. And... And uh, this, is, this is fun stuff. And I was thinking a little bit about the virtuous wife. I think Proverbs 31 is actually more about the church than it is about some woman. You are the virtuous woman. You are the virtuous bride of Christ. You are the one who can run with delegation. You're the one who can run with authority. You're the one who can receive leadership from Jesus and run with it. You're not afraid to run with it. You'll, you'll take a risk because this is your Lord, your master, your savior is, is giving you direction. And, and this is just, this is what you do. A bride has a submissive role, a submission, Ephesians 5, wives submit, take a submission to your husband. Wives have a submissive role to their husband. They carry out, she carries out the will of her husband, so also the bride of Christ. We're submitted to him, and therefore we are an extension of him in the earth. Not an extension of his divinity alone, but an extension of his humanity. He is risen up and before the Father as both fully human and fully divine. And in his humanity, he is still functioning as one who has authority over the earth because the earth has been given to the sons of men. The earth belongs to you, but ultimately it belongs to him, the supreme man. He has won back the earth unto God, unto heaven, unto righteousness, as the supreme man by overcoming Satan on our behalf. Yes? Galatians 4.26, the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. Hebrews 12.22, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. The heavenly Jerusalem. 
He becoming the supreme man, living without sin, defeating Satan, is now ruling from heaven through us. We are his body, and we have his mind, we have his thoughts, we have his thinking. If he's not living through you in your sphere of labor and gifting, then he's not the Lord of your life. We've got to be so careful. See, we invite him into our heart. He stands at the door of our heart and he knocks, and knocks on our heart, right? We invite him into our heart. But he's not coming in as a buddy. He's coming in as husband. He's coming in as Lord. He's coming in as master. He's coming in as king. Yes? Amen? We watched the movie the other night and some of the guys were saying afterwards, yeah, I just wish I could go on more outreach. You're on outreach every moment. I wish I could just do more of that. You're, you could do that every moment. Yes, we have intentional outreach, but you're in outreach all of the time. You're on outreach when you leave this building. You're on outreach when you come in the building. We're on outreach all of the time. Why? Because you are one with him. You are one with him. The kingdom of heaven is dwelling in you. Amen? So how does this affect prayer? What is prayer? In this discussion of marriage and partnership and delegation, remember this. We have to remember this, that he's leading his body, his bride, in all things. He's coaching us. He's empowering us. But he's not in the earth. Remember, he said, it's actually better that I go away. When he was here as a human, he was limited in the scope of his own sphere because he took on the form of man. He was... He was, so he couldn't be everywhere at all places. But yet he was the supreme man. He was recognized as the Lord over all things as a man because of his sinless life. He wasn't born with sin in him. He came not of the lineage of man, but he came of the seed of God. And, but he still had limitations. He couldn't be everywhere. He couldn't be where you are. He can only be where you are through you. This is why prayer is important. This is why prayer is important. You've become one with him in spirit. When you pray, it's almost like he's praying. In fact, it is as if you're, he's praying. He prays through you. He petitions over the earth through you. He prophesies over the earth through you. He proclaims over the earth through you. He he. He weeps through you. He intercedes through you. This is part of what Paul was saying in, in, in chapter 8 where he says, sometimes we intercede with groanings. With gro- Who in the world do you think is groaning through you if, there's a gr- if you're interceding with groaning? That's Jesus, the Lord of humanity, the Lord of the earth, the Lord of a kingdom that is growing and will not perish. That's Jesus praying through you. That's Jesus doing something through you. And yes, he's divine, but many times what we're feeling is we're feeling the cry of his heart for humanity because he represents us not only in his divinity, but in his humanity. And we feel that cry. And those two powers or graces are now combined. So when we feel him in his humanity, we partake of his divinity. Come on, stand with me this morning. I'm going to ask the usher team to come and begin to serve the elements. We're going to close with communion this morning.
When we pray, when we pray, it's good to be praying what he's praying. When we speak, when we lead, when we govern, just take the elements as they come, by the way, and just pass those through. We'll partake together in a few minutes. I want you as you take the elements this morning to celebrate. I want you to commemorate this morning in the elements organic unity. Organic unity. You are one with Yeshua. You are one with Jesus. You are one with the Christ. You are one spirit. Your prayers and prophetic utterance has power when it's an expression that agrees with heaven, when it's an expression that agrees with the supreme man. When your prayers line up with what Jesus is saying in heaven, they are unstoppable. They are earthquake-causable. They're beyond the scope of your understanding and power. This is why it's actually good, even during this season, it's good to say, Lord, show me what to pray. Show me what to pray. Show me what to... You ever feel like that? Like, wow, I just need some help right now, right? I actually want to, I actually want to seize myself for the kingdom and the purpose of God, but my little finite brain is falling short right now. Holy Spirit, show me. Show me what to pray. Show me how to pray over this. Show me how to pray over that. This is good. It's good to ask, show me what to proclaim. Show me what to prophesy. Show me what to bind. Show me what to lose. Show me what to declare. Because you are his voice. We are his voice. You are the petition that he's trying to offer. You. Your voice becomes the ruah. It becomes the breath. It becomes that which he rides on the waves of your voice. And you are the petition that he wants to offer. And if he, the supreme man, if he can't offer a petition through you for the earth, for humanity, it won't get offered. He's not up there offering these things right now. He's praying for you. But you are the body of Christ. You are the voice. You are these who are on the earth. You're the body of Christ of whom he fills all in all. You are the fullness of Christ in the earth. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing stuff? You are the compassionate expression of Jesus. If, if he can't be compassion through you, then compassion won't get expressed. It gets expressed through you. We are. We are the body of Christ. Let me read it to you, and then we're going to take the elements this morning. And I want you to just say, just saying yes. You know, Isaiah says that when he saw God, he was undone. And in seeing what God was, is, and does, he said, woe is me. But then he said something really cool. He said, here I am, Lord. Send me. The Ruah of God is living within our spirits. And this is a good response. Lord, here I am. Send me. Send me out of organic unity. This is not like some adoption agency and I'll never really know what Father's up to. And I, you know, I just, you know, I just, this is not like some 
some program uh, where he's just brought you in and you'll you'll never really be connected this is this is so rich the spirit within you is his spirit it's his spirit Ephesians 1:19 and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe it's in co- in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but in the one to come and he put all things in subjection huh that sounds like wife talk he put all things in subjection under his feet under his bride under his beloved under his proverbs 31 wife the virtuous woman here now i'm going to put all things under your feet honey giving you delegated authority run with these things under his feet and gave him father gave him jesus as head over all things to the church to the church the called out the ecclesia the bride which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all you have fullness by the way you have fullness you have fullness oh thank you lord did somebody bring me an element i need an element too hallelujah were there enough elements i don't know if we had enough elements encouraged come on this is so amazing amen let's take the bread together and I want you to just grab your heart just bring prayers just bring thanksgiving bring agreement to him this morning as you take the elements these are the elements that say that through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus we've been brought into the Trinity we are one with father we are one with Jesus we are one with the Holy Spirit Say it with me this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Take the bread. soak in a minute. We don't have to run out the door. Just linger for a moment. Just enjoy the Holy Spirit. The unity we have with Him. Unity we have with Him.